Now, why don't you guys help me welcome Pastor Reagan Pickrell. Hey! Uh, they don't clap for me at my church, and so don't worry about that. Uh, before I get into the, the message that I prepared for us, uh, during worship, I felt like God was uh, kind of giving me a word, but the nice thing is that you guys have to listen to me for like the next 35, 40 minutes anyway, so I had plenty of time to share it. Um, and that is, that as, as we're singing this song, the, the very end of it, Hallelujah, Our God Reigns, and uh, so appropriate because we're right in the middle of election results and things that I, I don't know about you guys in your community. I know that the members of my church are kind of a wreck over this. I mean, Gillette is a uh, pretty uh, much a hard right-wing community. And um, so, so my exhortation, the, the word that I felt God would, would be saying to you guys is first off, uh, aside from, from Jesus, there's no one that reigns forever. And so as we look at presidencies, presidencies have terms. America has a term. The king of kings is enthroned forever and you are citizens of heaven eternally. You're not citizens of America eternally. And so if you are kind of like my community that there's just a lot of anxiety and stress weltering inside of you over this election, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the encouragement is that God is victorious and that you don't live eternally in a presidency. You live eternally as citizens of Jesus. Um, and that, that I saw someone say the other day, if you receive a Nebuchadnezzar, be a Daniel. Um, and so regardless of who is president, uh, the king of kings reigns and we don't worship Republicans or Democrats, we worship the God of the universe. Um, well, as Derek said, my name is Reagan. I uh, am excited to be with you guys. I've got to speak the last couple nights at men's retreat. So ladies, if you're here, you are just one of the fellas today uh, at, at men's retreat, even though you are much prettier than the rest of the guys I've been around for the last couple days. Um, as I've prayed about this message and, and what I feel like the Lord would want me to share with you uh, it, sometimes the, the word of God, it's revealed and it's just like, man, I'm so excited and this is just like a feel-good message. And then sometimes the, the Bible is challenging and you feel like, oh man, this is, this is what you want me to teach? Like, what if they don't like this one? Um, but one of the beautiful things about the word of God is uh, that it is perfect. It's the authoritative revelation of who God is. And it doesn't always meet our standards of comfort. And that's good because it's outside of comfort that we grow as sons and daughters of God. Uh, so as, as I, I bring this message this morning, it's, it's not as any uh, indication of any one of you individually, but rather I believe God is doing something that the Bible wants to pull us out of our comfort zone a little bit to get us there. Um, I mean, Martin Luther, who is the you know, the great reformer, the reason that we are not a Catholic church, uh, the reason that there was that, that reformation 500 years ago, he got so challenged by, by the word that he actually ripped the book of James out of his Bible and stuck it at the back of it. That's like, well, sometimes I, you know, might read it a little bit, um, but the Bible's the Bible and it's not made for our comfort, it's made uh, for our transformation. Because in today's society, what, becomes true of so many people is that our opinions become our theology. Whatever I think has to be doctrine or gospel and then our feelings have become our Holy Spirit. Well, if I feel this, then that's truth. 
rather than the word of God being our foundation of truth. We are in a generation right now full of offense. And I don't just mean, uh, you know, like my generation, millennials or Gen Zers. It's like across the board. It's a generation of like, if you're alive today, people around you and, and maybe yourself, you find yourself regularly offended at things, regularly offended at tweets or at policies. Uh, everyone has something that's just bothering them and it just kind of is stirring up trouble all over the place. Uh, I mean, it's just look at our year. A year ago, things were pretty smooth. Things were pretty nice. Now, 2020, we've had COVID-19 kind of pop out of nowhere and wreck things. We've had the market crash in different industries. You know, Gillette is an oil, coal, and gas industry. And that has been devastated this year. I've probably had 75% uh, of my church uh, feel direct results of, of that. And then the rest, at least indirect results, people foreclosing on their homes. We've had protests this year all over the nation. We have had riots and violence flur up. Uh, we, we've had people all over the political spectrum of I like our president, I dislike our president, I like local politicians, I dislike them. We've had murder hornets, which where are they? Because I thought murder hornets were going to be like all over the place by now. Uh, we, we've had shortages of pennies and coins and toilet paper. Um, you know, the, those do not serve the same purpose, but they're just gone. Uh, we've had conspiracies and this is true and this is not true and the election and everything has kind of gotten disastrous. And then to top it all off, my four-year-old daughter refuses to brush her teeth. Uh, like there is nothing more important to her in this life than not having to get her teeth brushed. We've got a picture of my family. If we can pull that up real quick. Uh, I have a beautiful wife and a four-year-old girl um, and, and they are wild. They're a handful and I love them. But every morning, that little girl, that scream on her face is the same scream that she's got as I'm forcing her mouth open with a toothbrush and trying to get all the goldfish off of her teeth. And in those like two minutes every morning, I am praying, Jesus, return now. Like if you could come back Right now, it would sure save me for the next couple minutes of screaming. Jesus uh, spent three years with his disciples, mentoring, teaching them, revealing himself to them before he would go to the cross. And towards the end of this, uh, his life, the disciples are kind of catching glimpses of who he is, revelation. You know, Peter says uh, that the big revelation of you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then like, 30 seconds later, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Um, I'm really glad Jesus has not called me Satan before. Uh, but, but as we look at the disciples, they're kind of realizing who Jesus is. And they ask him in Matthew 24, they're saying, all right, Jesus, you're talking about the, the return of the kingdom. You're talking about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. When's it gonna happen? What is it gonna look like? I mean, can you give us some hints here? Uh, a, a little bit so that way we can kind of be prepared for this. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 10 through 13, he says, as he's kind of explaining a little bit of these last days, he says, then many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus says, end times are gonna look like this. People are gonna fall away. That's gonna lead to betrayal, relationships broken. It's gonna lead to hatred. 
uh, which is gonna open doors for deceit and that's gonna progress to lawlessness. Ultimately, people's love will grow cold. Now, how many of you guys know your Bible was not written in English, 21st century? Your Bible was written over the course of thousands of years with several different uh, men that God used to author it through Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And so this, Matthew wrote this gospel in Greek. And as he, he wrote this, the phrase, many will fall away, is a Greek word, skandalizo, which is used throughout the New Testament uh, as the word translated to be offense. In other words, Matthew is saying, many will be offended with each other in these last days. They'll betray one another out of that offense and how that will lead to hate. That your offense, when you take up offense, leads to broken relationships, which leads to hatred. In that then, he says, false prophets will rise up. There will be deceit. Offense is a breeding ground for deceit in your life. How easy is it to believe something false about someone who you're already offended with? I mean, this person did me wrong, and so you could tell me that they you know, are, are a mass murderer all because they stole my lunchbox. I don't know, and I might believe it. Uh, I mean, when you're offended with someone, the sky's the limit on what you will actually believe about them. He says, because of lawlessness, or your, your translation might have the words, the increase of wickedness, multiplying the love of many will go cold. Lawlessness, just breaking it down, is the lack of submission to the authority of God. It's a legal term that God is our final authority and he establishes law. And so because of this, uh, this lack of submission to God's authority and that, that expanding and multiplying, the love of many will grow cold. Offense leads to lawlessness or an increase of wickedness. And Jesus, as he's talking about these end days and he's talking about this progression of, of, of offense, this falling away to betrayal, to hatred, uh, to, to lawlessness and the love of many growing cold, Jesus isn't talking about the world. He's talking about the church. He's talking about Christians here. When he says the love of many will go cold, it's the Greek word that, that we, we sing in songs. We love the, the agape love, this unconditional transformative love from God to us that is exclusive to God, that people don't have agape love without Jesus. And so as he says, the love, the agape of many will grow cold. He's not talking about people who don't already know Jesus. He's talking specifically about you and me, about the church, about Christians. And so he's saying in the last days, Christians will be so easily offended with one another that as you look through the progression, ultimately their love will diminish entirely. Cold love never represents Jesus. And it's not necessarily synonymous with this like over the top violence and anger. Uh, cold love though does not look like Christ. And this is the same Jesus who earlier in his ministry said that the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Actually, it'd be about the same time. That's uh, around John 14, I think. That he says, the world will know you are my disciples by how you agape, by your love. He, he attributes love 
with testimony, with witness, with people seeing Jesus through us and finding hope through us. He attributes that to our love for one another. And he says, as you become offended with one another, that love will grow cold. I don't know when Jesus will return. Uh, you know, I, I, I believe that it could be soon. I believe it could be my lifetime. It could be 2000 years from now. Uh, we, we don't know. The Bible is not like this roadmap to picking a date of when Jesus returns. And the people who have tried to do that have found themselves in some trouble. Uh, but I believe it could be soon because it's pretty easy to see that Christians are kind of no different than anyone else that we're regularly offended with each other. We're offended with other people all the time. And it'll hurt our witness. 10 years ago, I worked in the, the coal mines doing communications work. I uh, worked on two-way radio systems, on haul trucks and stuff for a company. It was kind of a newer startup company and it didn't last long. Uh, within just a couple years, the company imploded and I had this manager who I just didn't get along with well. I was a youth pastor at the time, just volunteer youth pastoring at our church. And uh, <clears throat> he, he really didn't like that, that you know, my priorities would be church over the business. And so we kind of would just struggle with each other. And, and I knew that I had an end date coming up soon. Uh, and so sure enough, there comes an opportunity for him to let me go. And, and I'm looking at him like, dude, what are you talking about? You're, you're, you're letting me go for these reasons, but like, here's my, my paperwork showing, you know, I didn't do any of that stuff or I did these things over here and I'm just struggling. So then I'm angry and I, I walk out of the business and I call up my dad, who's a, uh, was the pastor of the church and I'm telling him about it and like, I just want to go inside and I just want to lay into Dave, you know, my manager and tell him, <clears throat> you know, you're corrupt. You're obviously not a good person and you have no integrity and all these things. And my dad said, here's the thing, Reagan, you can do that. Uh, but there may be a day when Dave walks into the church that you are pastoring and he can say, hey, there's a guy that uh, I let go and look at him. Or he can say, oh man, I don't want anything to do with what he represents. So as we talk about offense, we talk about how people have wronged us. I mean, that kind of falls into a couple categories, falls into when we think someone has wronged us. You know, it's easy for our perspectives to get skewed a little bit. Well, you know, I think this is what they meant by that. This is what they actually said. Or sometimes people really do wrong us. I, I get that. One day, uh, it was a Tuesday night and we had a men's discipleship group earlier this summer, uh, just kind of a small group that we met up. So it's nice weather and I, I go to that and my wife is at home with our, our daughter and we have two dogs too and they're little hooligans and she's in the garage, the garage door is open just a couple feet so she can kind of see what's going on outside and she's working on something. And I had a uh, steak knife in the garage because I don't know why, maybe I was eating steak, um, but, but there's a steak knife in the garage that she's using to scrape paint off of a mirror because that's obviously the best tool for that. Um, but she's using the steak knife when the neighbor girl who's about our daughter's age runs over, opens the door and my wife sees out uh, of the door four human legs and then eight dog legs as our kids uh, and dogs go running through the cul-de-sac, which we really don't want the dogs running around the cul-de-sac because like week two of us living there, they tried to kill the neighbor's cats and told a fiasco. Uh, so my wife sees 
dog's kids run out of the house. She goes, gets them. A few minutes later, the exact same thing happens. So she is running around the cul-de-sac to get these kids, not realizing she has a steak knife in her hand. Um, chasing these two four-year-old girls around the cul-de-sac, they run into a different neighbor's house, like not knocking or anything, just bulking in there. Uh, thankfully, we know him. So my wife sets the steak knife down, goes into the house, drags these girls out, Hadley, go home. Sadie, do whatever you want. Uh, and, and picks up the steak knife. Instead of going home, Hadley runs over to a different neighbor's house where everyone's out in the yard just hanging out, having a good time. And Hadley is hiding in this crowd of grown adults. And my wife has had it up to here. I am sick of chasing you, you little brat. And so she's walking over to this crowd, steak knife in hand, and going to get Hadley. Hadley shouts out, this is just total kid, don't cut me, don't cut me. As my wife has a steak knife in hand, walking to this crowd of people to get our daughter, different neighbor says, can I hold the knife while you get Hadley? Different neighbor says, at least she didn't say, don't cut me again. Uh, you know, the, these perspectives of what's going on aren't always a reality that my wife's going, why did I even take this knife out of the garage? But then there's times that we are truly wronged. We have a good right to be offended by all human standards. And you don't know what they did to me. They, they did this and this and this and uh, unquestionable. And you, you have the right to be offended. You have the right to do anything you want. You have the right to go to hell. God gave us free choice. He gave us free will, the, the right to do anything. They have consequences, but it's, it's your ability to choose those things. But I would challenge you that if you want to walk with God, if you want to abide with Christ, you don't have the right to be offended. And we'll look at that. So what do I do then when someone's wronged me? How, how, how am I supposed to just let things go when someone's done me wrong? In Matthew 18, uh, Peter talks to Jesus about a fence and he's kind of actually being a little braggadocious, like, you know, showing off a little bit to the other disciples. And he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, you know, Thomas over here, he does me wrong uh, and, and I forgive him and he does me wrong again and I forgive him. I, mean, I could do that up to like seven times. Is it, it, should I even do that? To which Jesus' response, you probably know, he says, I don't say sometimes, I say 70 times seven. You should forgive your brother. So if we just did the math of that, that would be two and a half minutes every 24, or for 24 hours. In other words, Thomas sinned against me and I forgive you and I'm totally gonna let that go. Two and a half minutes later, he does something else. All right, I'm gonna forgive you till you let that go. For 24 hours straight. In other words, Jesus is saying, there should be no cap on your grace and love and forgiveness for your brothers and sisters. And then he proceeds to tell them this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven would be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
We don't uh, use talents as currency. We use dollars. But one talent would be somewhere around 20 years of wages or salaries. So if we did the math, we're going to say that 10,000 talents is somewhere around seven and a half to $10 billion. Do any of you guys have that much outstanding debt? Um, can any of you guys afford to pay off that debt? Because if so, you should start tithing. Your, your pastor would love it uh, to see some tithes come in in the billions. Um, this is an unpayable debt. Seven and a half to $10 billion. We'll say seven and a half. We'll call it the short end of that. Seven and a half billion dollars. Unpayable. And Jesus explains this parable in saying, first off, let's start with your own sin. Before we look at the debt and the wrongs and the offenses of other people, let's look at your own offenses. Um, I've got a five gallon bucket here with me. I don't really always preach with one of these. If you're wondering if this is like, if I've got to use the bathroom real quick or something, no. Um, but but what, what I've got this for is, is I, I did the math. So let's say 10,000 uh, 10, talents would be if I filled this bucket to the brim, all the way to the top with water. That's, that's the 10,000 talent debt that our sin equals. It's parabolic of our sin, our debt towards God, our, our life of sin, of rebellion, of living for ourselves. When it was given to us by our creator to glorify him, it's an unpayable debt. The only payment that could be paid or that could cover this then would be death. It would be the son of God going to a cross. And that's why the Bible says that when he was nailed to the cross, he nailed our note of debt, our debt, our legal document saying you owe this much to the cross. And so we're just gonna start off just looking as we talk about offense, how much our offense towards God, our sin towards God equaled. And that would be full to the top bucket, 10,000 talents, unpayable debt. Jesus continues this parable. He says, when that same servant, the one who was forgiven of this unpayable debt went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, somewhere around $10,000. That's our best guess of what that equal. He seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. 10,000 talents, seven and a half billion dollars, um, seven and a half to 10 billion dollars. So same servant then finds someone who owes him $10,000. That's not like a small chunk of change. I mean, if that's a small chunk of change to you, that's really awesome. To, to most of us, that's substantial, $10,000. Um, but if we were to just do some simple math, that'd be about 0.0001% of the debt that he was just forgiven. So as I said, if this full to the top is our sin and our debt, our offense towards God, then that would be the equivalent, I just dropped a uh, drop of water, that'd be the equivalent of a half of a drop of water in that bucket. I can't split that water drop in half. I don't have that sharp of fingers. Um, 
half a drop of the water, significant offense, $10,000 worth of offense. That's substantial. Not even one drop in a five gallon bucket compared to what our sin, our offense towards God was in which he at the cross fully forgives. Not only that, God's, God doesn't just say, I forgive you. God says, I want, us to be, I want us to be friends, intimate friends. I want to give you an identity. I want to give you an inheritance in, in eternity. So as Jesus says this, you know, master says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I did on you? And he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now there's a challenge for us. My heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive each other. What's that say about the value that Jesus places on our forgiveness for each other? When Jesus leads us through the Lord's prayer, you know, uh, we'll just walk through. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. He doesn't say like, you know, sort of how we would forgive others. He says, actually, forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us of our offenses to the same measure of which we uh, forgive those who have offended us. The way that we forgive other people is the way Jesus says to pray for God to forgive us. Sometimes it, it hurts. Sometimes offenses really hurt. You might be in here and you're, there's someone in the room who's done you wrong. And you say, man, but Reagan, you don't know what, what they did. You don't know what they said. Sometimes it stings more than a little bit. And I get that. You know, sometimes offenses hit us. Well, this person said something weird, but not a big deal. I can move on. Um, and sometimes it's just like we can't. I love your pastor, Pastor Sean. I'm praying for him. He's... Uh, been, been leading you guys for a couple of years now, as I understand, but uh, was a youth pastor here uh, for, for a while before. Um, it was about year two. So I've been pastoring our church for six years now. It was about year two that the people who didn't like me started to leave. Um, every, every transition I, I've seen has some sort of turnover, but um, it was about year two that people who had found something they didn't like me or something that they were a little bit offended by uh, left. Initially, it was like, nah, I don't really care about this. You know, we'll, we'll endure, it seemed like. And then year two is like, we had people that I've known my entire life, close, intimate friends with, decide, well, after this has been stewing and stewing, I think I'm going to go to another church. Um, sometimes offenses wound us. And here's the thing, if wounds are not properly treated, they don't ever heal. Uh, we have we have a couple physical therapists in our church, but one of them is talking to, and he's saying, you know, have, have people who, who get hurt and they don't ever go through the process. Hurt knee as a kid, didn't get it uh, healed properly, didn't do the proper therapy. And at age 56, 57, 58, now my father, my personal father is a knee replacement, total replacement because he didn't take care of the injuries that he had when he was young. Wounds have to be treated for them to, to be healed. I, I understand that. 
You know, I'm, uh, I may be kind of scrawny, but I'm remarkably out of shape. Uh, I mean, I am lazy as it gets. Pick rolls, we're not athletes, we are good sitters. Um, we like to shoot guns, and so we can do that from a bench, and then we can ride the four-wheeler to the targets. Uh, that, that's just, that's something that, that I've just found to be me, I'm glad with it. Other than all of my pastoral staff are runners, and so they're always like, hey, let's do a half marathon together, and I'm like, I you guys are fired. Uh, I mean, this is just nonsense. I'm gonna find some people like me. Um, it's like, hey, let's watch a half marathon together while eating nachos. Um, but the reality is being out of shape, it, it makes you prone to injuries that you wouldn't have otherwise. And the same is true with your spiritual health. The same is true when you are, are not engaging the word of God and abiding with Christ and spending time in the word and living for Jesus that, that you become spiritually prone to wounding. Psalm 119, 165 says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. When people are invested into you, Lord, when people are in your, in your word, when people are growing, when they're doing the proper things to build their spiritual health up, then as offenses come, they don't wound. Or, or maybe they do, but they're, they're, they're easily healed. And so when we are nominal Christians, in other words, yeah, I'm, I go to church and that's the extent of it. And we're not building ourselves up in Christ. We're not planting our roots down into his word. Then it doesn't take a lot to wound us. So to recover from a wound requires treatment. To recover from uh, an injury probably requires some sort of physical therapy or exercise. Matthew chapter five, verse 44, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But the way that we typically take this pray for those who persecute you is, God, I just pray that you, in your spirit, you would convict them and lead them to repentance. Psalm 35, 11 through 14 says, pray for those who hurt you the way you would pray for your child. Uh, it's, it's the change from, God, I, I ask that you would just convict them to, God, would you care for them all the days of their life? Would you give them friendships that would build them up? Would you open up opportunities to take care of them, to meet their needs, to, to heal their, the wounds in their life? God, would you hold them close to you? God, would you prepare a future? Uh, the way I pray for my daughter is not just simply, God, you know, bless them. My prayers for my daughter are deep. It cares about her future, about her soul, which means that our prayers aren't just what feels good. Feeling good is not an indication that we are praying right. Plain simple Christianity is not about feeling good. It can, it can feel overwhelmingly good. But our life is to be a life of obedience and obedience to the word of God is indication that we are praying right regardless of our feelings, which I said, tend to take the place of the Holy Spirit in our life. A few years back, I, I was highly offended. Uh, someone in the church just did something outlandish and 
it not only hurt me, it hurt my wife deeply. And, uh, and, and, and I knew that I can't hold on to this, but it was kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna let it go. I'm just gonna move on. Um, years later, start of this year, you know, I'm thinking I'm past this thing. Somebody mentions this person. And when I hear his name, it's immediately like, there's something, there's like a bad taste in my mouth there. Uh, something going on there. And it's like, Holy Spirit was like, yeah, that's because you're holding onto a fence here. And so what God led me to do is he said, Reagan, I want you to pray for this person the way you pray for your child. How many times, God, like, can I do it once and then move on? God's like, you're gonna do it every day. And so for days and days and weeks and months, God, I pray for this person that you would shower them with your grace and your love. Uh, God, I ask for you to, to just bless them, to love them. God, for, for their heart to be made whole, for their mind to be made whole, that they would know you intimately. God, I pray that their friendships would be wholesome. Just praying for them the way I pray for my daughter. And after day one, nothing really changed. After day two, nothing really changed. After month three of it, began as somebody who mentioned this person's name, that there was a deeper love for them than I probably ever had before the offense happened. You don't have to be buddies necessarily, but you can't hold on to offense if you're gonna abide in Christ. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, offenses to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. I mean, we don't want to be offensive people and that we don't want to cause strife and headache and uh, harm. Offenses are sure to come. In other words, they're gonna be presented to you. I promise you, somebody is going to say something offensive in nature to you. Um, we've got a, a picture of this uh, trap. It's called a deadfall trap, if we could pull that up. This is uh, a, a bait trap for catching small animals. And so it'd be something that if you were out in the wilderness, you could set this up and then you would stick bait on that pointy end of that stick there to catch uh, an animal. As it would take that, it would set the trap off, the rock would fall down. This is called a deadfall trap. The Greek word for offense is scandalon, or scandalizo is the one that was used earlier in Matthew 24. But the, the actual definition, the way that this word is used uh, historically is, is a bait stick for a trap. And the point of the trap is to either ensnare something or kill something. And so every day of your life, there's gonna be an opportunity where the devil is gonna to, he's gonna place some sort of offense on the end of this stick, the end of this scandal on. And he's gonna say, man, look at how awful this was. Look at how tempting it would be to just build up an offense towards this person. And we find ourselves too quickly and too readily saying, man, you're right. And the moment we grab onto that, we fall into what John Bevere uh, author would say is the bait of Satan. But Christians, we don't have to 
We don't have to embrace and engage bitterness and offense because Jesus says, you know, offense leads to this diminishment of love, but I believe that we are in the last days and that God needs our love to flourish and grow because it is in that that the world will know we are his disciples. In other words, your love is a massive part of your testimony of Jesus. Your love for other people directly affects the way that you can offer people hope. And when you engage offense, when you become offended with your brothers and your sisters and the people around you, you begin to diminish your ability to be a testimony or an ambassador for Jesus. I believe we're in the last days and Hebrew says that as you see the day draw near, stir up one another to love and good works. And Peter says, in regards to the last days, he says that, that Jesus is not slow to fulfill the promise of his return. Rather, he's patient because he wants no one to perish. He's giving you and I opportunities to go out with agape love and bring people king of kings to do that we have to let go of offense as we were talking embracing change was the theme for this weekend the kind of the cultural norm is to be offended but we're not of this world so we, we, as I said you have the right to be offended but to abide with Jesus to walk with God, to be an influence in your community and in your home. You don't have that right. Let's pray. Jesus, I can't talk about forgiveness and grace without first acknowledging the amount of debt that I owed you, that you forgave. Without acknowledging how serious my offense and my sin and my rebellion against you how, how, how wicked it was and yet you nailed it to the cross. You forgave it in entirety that there was not one drop left in that bucket. And that God, even as I sin still, as I'm battling sin uh, in the flesh, that God, your grace abounds all the more where sin abounds as Romans teaches us. And so there is no offense left in this bucket. You forgave it all at the cross. Your sacrifice was sufficient for that debt. So Jesus, I thank you for your grace and your forgiveness that wiped it all away. And Lord, as I think of the offenses that have come to me in my own life, and some of them have felt very serious and, and heavy, not, not to be diminished in that regard, God, when I hold it in retrospect or in, in comparison to the forgiveness that you had for me, I can't help but forgive. For he who has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus, I want to love well. I want my love to be a testimony of your goodness. And God, I want uh, my unity with my brothers and sisters to lead people to Jesus. God, I'm thinking of, of your prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before you were arrested, Jesus, and you're praying for your disciples and you prayed, 
that they would be one as you and the Father one, that we would be united. And you said, then the world will know that you have sent me. God, our testimony, our testimony hinges on our love for each other, our embrace of each other, our readiness to forgive unconditionally. And so Jesus, today, forgive. Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to reveal to the minds of everyone in this room, everyone watching online who's hearing this, God, I ask you to reveal if there's offense in our heart that maybe we've just tried to hide or maybe it's at the surface, that God, if there's offense, would you reveal that, that we, Lord, would be intentional about bringing this to you to be healed? With our eyes closed, if you're in this room and there's, there's been an offense that, that God's revealing to you right now that you have, to, you have to take care of, no one's looking around, but you stick your hands in your room. If there's an offense in your life that, God, I need, I need your help to forgive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, for, for those in this room who, by the grace and love of your Holy Spirit, are, are acknowledging the offenses that they've held on to, beautiful thing. Lord, as, as we surrender this, then we become more effective in the kingdom. And so, Jesus, we bring our offenses before you. God, help us forgive. Help us to love unconditionally. Jesus, help us to pray for those who have offended us the way we pray for our own children. That, God, this would not be a part of our identity and our story anymore. In Jesus' name. Lord, Thank you for this room. Thank you for this church. Now, I, I, I don't know the people in this room very well, but God, you love them and you're pursuing their hearts. If you're in this room uh, and, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've never uh, acknowledged his forgiveness for your offense, that at the cross, your debt was completely paid. And today in faith, you wanna receive Jesus as your savior, as your Lord of your life. With, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you're saying, I want Jesus to be my savior, I'm gonna make this choice today for the first time. Would you stick your hand up where you are? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We did this first service and we're gonna do it again uh, now. But we're gonna just pray, just prayer. And, and, and this, this prayer isn't what, what makes you save that Jesus, your faith in Jesus as your savior, that washes this away. But this prayer would be a, a monumental time for you to be able to look back and say, that was a day that Jesus washed away my debt. So everyone in this room, would you repeat this prayer after me? Uh, even if you've done it a thousand times, but it, especially for those who you're praying this for the first time, let's just pray this together. It's all repeat. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for the cross that nailed my debt and forgave me of it all. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a new identity. Make me a child of God. Fill me with love that I may love others. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, I, I love you. 
I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership of this church. I thank you for every member who uh, is and isn't here today. And God, I ask that in their love and in their forgiveness, refusal to be offended, God, I ask that they would see transformation in this community, that the world will know that you were sent by the Father as they are one. Jesus, I thank you for this weekend, God, that word spoke would take uh, root in the life of, of the people this weekend. Jesus, I pray for Sean, Pastor Sean, to be filled with your grace and your comfort and your peace, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to fill him with the words that he'll need to speak to this family as they get to town, that they don't have to be his own words, they can be yours. Jesus, I ask for your grace and mercy over the other leadership of the church, over the other pastors on staff, as they are, are shoulder to shoulder with Sean, carrying burden together. God, would you fill them with your grace as well? God, would you recharge their batteries as well? Jesus, I, I, I thank you for uh, this church who knows and loves you, but God, as we just look at the deaths that have happened over the last six weeks, seven weeks, however long it's been, it's tragic. And, and God, if there is a spiritual attack that wants to steal life, then in the name of Jesus, we rebuke that. The Holy Spirit, you would drive that out and that life and life abundantly would be what people remember in this season, not death. Lord, I ask for your protection over this community and over these people. God, I ask that people would be coming alive maybe for the first time and that your kingdom would move forcefully in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for letting me spend the weekend with you. It's been such a treat getting to know some of you guys.